So how many of us can relate to the woman in the video? <laughs> yeah, the regret over the lack of time spent with our Savior. The disillusionment with having worked so hard to get where we are and yet still feel so unfulfilled. The surprise and disappointment at how obvious the answers become when we actually pause for a moment to realize who we're talking to. That's what today's message is about. If we are going to be transformed by God into the likeness of his son, it's going to take time spent with God. It's going to take a reordering of our planning and priorities. It's going to take a fight to break free of the sickness of busyness. It's going to take some discipline, some spiritual discipline. We're going to have to keep training ourselves for optimal spiritual health. Uh, I doubt anyone would argue with me about whether or not this society has fallen prey to a busyness epidemic. We are a nation that is far too busy. And the followers of Christ, we have fallen in line with the rest of society. There never seems to be enough time in any given day to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Everything's faster. Technology has exploded in recent decades in the realm of efficiency. And contrary to the predictions made in the 60s, we do not have too much time on our hands in this day and age. Yet that was the whole motivation behind technological advances in efficiency. We want more time. And so technology advanced rapidly and time diminished rapidly. And now here we are, drowning in what one writer calls the silliness of busyness. This morning I want to talk about what this sickness looks like, about why we contract, contracted it, and, and what we can do about it. Uh, this issue is so complex and so personal that I can't possibly cover every angle, but we need to at least let the problem know that we're ready for a fight. Busyness should not define us. The image of God should. And those two concepts, busyness and Christ-likeness, need some attention now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that busyness is a threat to your faith, but I will say that busyness carries with it a risk that we get so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of the life that God intended for us. Busyness disables our ability to flourish, and that is something that we cannot miss out on. So what does it look like? What does it mean to be sick with busyness. If I asked you if you were too busy to an unhealthy level, I think most of us would answer that of course we're not. So let me throw some indicators at you and you make the decision for yourself about where you fall. Are you too busy? Well, I came across an article uh, online about the issue of busyness. And in the article, the author listed some criteria to determine if you are affected by what she calls the silliness of busyness or not. Well, let me share those criteria with you. You may be lost in the silliness of busyness if your usual response to how are you is so busy, crazy busy, or busy but good. If you spend time worrying about how busy you're going to be tomorrow. If you get angry when your spouse or friends aren't as busy as you. If your busy life keeps you up at night thinking about everything you didn't get done. If you make a point of letting people know that you stay at the office after hours if you check email several times a day, if you zone out during conversations thinking about everything you have to do, if you volunteer for things you don't care about, if you spend time complaining 
about how busy you are. If you make list after list to make sure you don't forget anything during your busy day. If you regularly eat in your car. If you use a phone in the car because it's the only time you have to talk. Okay, anybody left standing after that list? <laughs> Some telltale signs that we're too busy to thrive in life, but there's more. There's a, a deeper diagnostic test that we need to do here. I want to look at some, some more symptoms of this condition with you, and these go a little deeper than the behavioral indicators that we just listed. These get down to our character. I believe this is an important enough issue for us to take a hard look at ourselves. Symptom number one of the sickness of busyness is this. We are constantly speeding up the daily activities in our lives. We just don't think there are enough hours in the day to get done what we feel we need to get done. Um, I love how John Ortberg describes some of the ways this symptom is demonstrated. He says, we will read faster, talk faster, and when listening, nod faster to encourage the talker to accelerate. We will find ourselves chafing whenever we have to wait. At a stoplight, if there are two lanes and each one contains a car, we will find ourselves guessing, based on the year, make, and model of each car, which one will pull away the fastest. At a grocery store, if we have a choice between two checkout lines, we find ourselves counting how many people are in each line, multiplying this number by the number of items per cart. If we have a really bad case of hurry sickness, then even after we get in line, we keep track of the person who would have been me in the other line. <laughs> yeah, I hit a sore spot there, didn't I? <laughs> If we get through and the person who would have been me is still waiting, we are elated. We've won. <laughs> but if the alter me is walking out of the store and we're still in line, we feel depressed. This is a symptom of the sickness of busyness. The second symptom worth noting is this. It's a symptom that psychologists call polyphasic activity. Uh, we lay people prefer the term multitasking how proud we have become of our ability to multitask. We attempt to meet this strange need to be busy by taking on more tasks than one at the same time, or more thoughts than one, or more conversations than one, because doing any one of these things just on their own would be, well, inefficient. It would take too long. And believe it or not, we have chosen as the showroom of our ability to multitask, the car. 2,000 pounds of steel on which we sit traveling up to 80 miles an hour, surrounded by other multitasker wannabes in their 2,000 pound trajectories. Very impressive, isn't it? We'll eat, drink coffee, listen to podcasts, shave, apply makeup, talk on the cell phone, make gestures, and oh yeah, drive all at the same time. Or at home we'll watch TV, eat, read, and carry on a conversation all at the same time. That's the sickness of busyness. There's a third sy symptom. It's clutter. It seems that those of us who are affected by this condition lack simplicity in our lives. Material clutter is the obvious one, and I'm talking about houses and garages and storage units full of things that we acquired with the intention of using to either save us time or do in our spare time. And we can't get rid of the stuff because we sincerely believe that we're going to use it someday but we're too busy to ever use it, so it piles up. And there are other forms of clutter besides material clutter. Our schedules, 
are cluttered when we get weighed down by all the things that we couldn't say no to. And there's the clutter of repercussions from important dates we have forgotten, missed appointments, and the things that we have failed to follow through on. All symptoms of the sickness of busyness. And we get deeper. The next symptom is this, superficiality. Superficiality. Uh, Well-known Christian author Richard Foster writes that superficiality is the curse of our age. Superficiality has infected so many realms in our lives. If I had to choose one thing that I've seen this condition affect the most in my lifetime, it would have to be relationships. The depth of friendships that I see developing around me, especially in our youth, is gone. And I'm not sure we'll ever get it back as a society. The ability to understand and express love is diminishing. Just the ability to understand is diminishing. We are rapidly replacing wisdom with knowledge and information. The ability to communicate is diminishing in spite of the massive advancements in communication technologies. Conversations taking place all around us are about superficial things. Behavior is a higher value than character. We live on the surface of the life that we were created to experience. How many times this past week did you have a truly significant conversation? Not many, huh? How many times did you connect with someone, anyone, even God, on a spirit level? As Christians, we're not maintaining the standard here. We're too busy to go deep, just like everyone else. We've bought into the belief that maturity can be achieved quickly, but it can't. Depth takes time. Depth of character takes time. Depth of relationship takes time. Depth of communication takes time. Depth of understanding takes time. You notice the trend in devotional materials? If you were trying to make a living selling devotionals, what would they have to feature to sell successfully? Man, they'd have to be short. It's very easy now to get one-minute devotionals so that we can add did devotions to our to-do list and scratch it off and feel better about ourselves. Now, is five minutes a day better than nothing? Yes, but think about what we're doing here. God gives us his presence 24-7, and we're trying to figure out how to give the least amount possible back. I want us to get really sick of superficiality. I want us to be unhappy with surface relationships. Flourishing takes time. Ask yourself if you or God is content with the depth in your life. Has busyness sucked the depth out of your life? Here's another symptom of a life that's been infected by busyness. And this is the most serious of the symptoms. Busyness diminishes our ability to love. Love and hurry don't mix. Love takes time, and we seem to be running out of time. So, of course, we're running out of love. What's wrong with us? How can we not see this problem? One of the signs that this is really happening to us is something that I've heard referred to as sunset fatigue. Uh, Many of us are going to relate to this very quickly, us men in particular, but everybody. Uh, We get home at the end of the day, and of course we're tired. It's always been this way. But it hasn't always had the same effect because historically we have not always been this busy. We park the car, open the door, and what we bring to the ones that we love the most is leftovers. 
were tired, drained, distracted, preoccupied, and the people to whom we've made the deepest commitment, we offer the least in terms of our love and our energy. We have nothing left. Our busy lives have worn us out, and it's not just the men. Moms who raise kids know this experience. Teens committed to every sport and activity know this experience. Our lives are so busy that we've lost the ability to love the way that we were created to love. You're in deep when you see some of these things happen in your life. Um, You find yourself rushing when there's no reason to. There's an underlying tension in your house that causes painful words to be said and siblings to be at each other. As parents, you set up races between the kids, like to see who can take their bath the fastest. Races that are really about your own need to get through the event and onto your busy schedule. You sense that there's a loss of gratitude and wonder at home. Or you indulge in self-destructive escapes from fatigue, abusing alcohol, watching too much TV, constantly filling yourself with caffeine or energy drinks. Is this the life you want? John Ortberg tells this story that he passes along from a friend. A pilot once told me his favorite airline story. An elderly couple were flying first class, sitting behind a businessman who was enormously frustrated with them. They had been just ahead of him in line at the gate and again boarding the plane, and they moved slowly, but he was in a hurry. When the meal was served, they delayed the businessman again by having to get some pills from the overhead storage, inadvertently dropping a battered duffel bag. What's the matter with you people? He exploded, loudly enough for the whole cabin to hear. I'm amazed that you ever get anywhere. Why can't you just stay home? To register his anger, the man sat down and reclined his seat back as hard as he could, so hard that the elderly husband's tray of food spilled all over him and his wife. The flight attendant apologized to the couple profusely. Is there anything we can do, she asked. The husband explained that it was their 50th wedding anniversary and they were flying for the first time. Let me at least bring you a bottle of wine, the flight attendant offered. She did. And when it was uncorked, the old husband stood up, proposed a toast, and poured the bottle all over the head of the impatient businessman sitting in front of him. (laughs) And he says, the pilot told me, everybody in the cabin cheered. (laughs) How did we get this way? What happened to us? Now, of course, none of us are as rude as the businessman in this story, right? We're not in that much of a hurry, but think back on the symptoms that we've been talking about here. Uh, You were probably represented there somewhere. I know I was, more than once. So what is, is it about us that has made it possible for us to accept the pace of life that we have embraced so readily here in our society? Why are we not fighting back violently against this trend? Well, once again, I believe this is an identity issue, and we as the children of God have once again forgotten our true identity. Instead, we've embraced the value of self-centeredness in this day that's all around us. We've conformed, even though we've been taught in the world, in the word, not to be conformed. So is it hopeless then? No, I don't believe it is. Uh, I wouldn't make a very good sermon if it wasn't. Because <laughs> we're never out of the reach of God's transforming power. Never. He didn't create us to get a sense of self-worth from our busyness. The length of our task list is not 
how he wants to affirm our identity, the one that he gave us. We're to receive our identity and affirmation from God, and he's ready and he's eager to give it to us. It's up to us, once again, to create in our lives some disciplines that will give him the opportunity to do what he wants to do in us. We need to train ourselves. Our perspective is one thing that has to change and return to being God's perspective. And here's an example of what I mean. Um, When I moved to Haiti in 1991, I went there as an agriculturalist. My job was to work with farmers in Haiti and to teach them how to get more out of their gardens to be more productive. So I arrived in the country and one of the crops that, that I saw that they grew there was corn. It was in every garden. And I watched after the first harvest uh, what happened with the corn. And they would, they would harvest it and they'd set it out in the sun to dry. And when it was dry, they'd take it off the stalks and husk it. And, and then uh, <clears throat> they'd lay out a blanket or, or something in their yard. And they would pile the corn cobs there. And then they'd come by and, and sit down and literally do this to harvest their corn. They would flick the corn kernels off the cobs with one thumb, and they'd sit there for hours and hours and hours doing this. And so for an agriculturalist, I'm like, that's insane. Are you kidding me? (laughs) There is no way we would allow this in our society. Of course not. There's no way we would sit there and do this Cob after cob after cob, harvesting our corn this way. We wouldn't do that. So right away, my mind's going to work. How can I make this more efficient? Um, I had seen, I had taken some Haitians actually to Honduras, and, and they had seen this method where you have this big manger. It's just like a manger that we use at Christmas, um, but it's bigger, and it's open at one end, and you dump all the cobs in there, and it has gaps between the boards, <clears throat> and then you just grab a big stick, and you just wail on these things and all the kernels come off and fall through the cracks down onto the ground. And I thought, that's efficient. They're going to they're gonna eat this up because it's going to make this so much faster than this. This was ridiculous. <laughs> but I waited and waited, and a year and a half into my term, um, the guy who was coming to replace me, it was halfway through the term, and it was kind of a rotating system, he came, he arrived, and sure enough, one of the first things that he as the next agriculturalist saw was this practice, and he was just totally upset. We, how can they do that? We can't, we can't let this be. Let's fix this. Let's give them something faster, something more efficient. And I remember sitting down with him and saying, Jay, don't, don't make any decisions until you come with me during harvest season. And so uh, we went out to a Haitian's home during harvest season, and sure enough, here's their, their corn in a big pile on the ground. And sitting around that pile is a whole family, plus extended family. And any time that somebody would walk by, they would be invited to come and sit and visit. And this was one of the most incredible relationship-building exercises I've ever seen in my life. It defined relationships in their culture. And Jay and I agreed, we're like, we're leaving that alone. That doesn't need to be more efficient. They don't need to be in a hurry. They don't need to get more done. They need that.
when Jesus was asked what the greatest commands were from the law, he responded by narrowing it all down to two things, and you know what these things are. He told us that we're to love God and that we're to love others. We're to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So here's the hard question. Is our busyness achieving growth for us in our ability to love God and to love others? Is your relationship with God flourishing even more the busier you get? How about your relationship with your spouse? How about your relationships with your kids? How about the relationships with your friends? Something has to be flourishing more and more the busier we get, right? So what is it? How is life getting more fulfilling as we add things to our schedules? Is it getting any better? Or are we getting sicker and sicker, drifting further and further from God and from the people that he calls us to love? Well, we need to talk solution here, don't we? Um, this can't be a lost cause. There has to be hope. Well, there is hope, but it's not going to be easy to find because this is the bottom line. Two words, slow down. Slow down. Now, you were hoping for the magic pill, weren't you? You were waiting for the introduction of the Busyness Buster 2000, guaranteed to make life more manageable and your hair shinier. You were hoping for the secret formula applied in the easiest manner in the least amount of time, a secret that would change everything and still allow you to feel the self-importance of being run ragged every day by everything that you simply must get done. Well, there is no secret formula. This is a discipline. This is training. And it's going to involve some decisions and a lot of commitment on our part. But it is possible. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have taught his disciples to do it. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 39 to 49. This discipline meant something to Jesus. It really did. So he himself did it and taught his disciples how to do it. And you can see examples of what we're going to look at in every one of the Gospels. In every story that's told about Jesus' life, you're going to see what we see here. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. It says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Well, let me clarify something first before we look at how we can practice the discipline of slowing the verse that's, act, that's used um, usually to teach this principle is verse 35. We talk about the fact that Jesus went away to a solitary place to connect with his father. But I want you to put this all in perspective. 
So based on reading the verses around verse 35, I think we can safely make the statement that Jesus was busy. He was. This is not about stopping all your activity. There is no contradiction here between slowing and serving. God planned things for us to do even before we were born. But hear this, we will only be certain that we are doing the right things when we are certain that we are doing the right things first. I know that sounds confusing, but there are two things that we have to be doing first before all the other stuff that we're doing fits God's plan for our lives. And those things are loving God and loving others. It is not possible to know if you're doing God's will if you have no relationship with him or if your relationship with him is superficial at best. We need to slow down. We need to experience silence and we need to practice solitude. The only cure for sickness, the sickness of busyness, is to let God set the pace of our lives and, and, and he's not gonna be able to do it if we don't commit to the most important relationships in our lives. Um, on Friday, I was at the funeral for Mike Martin's dad and the testimony of his life was built around these two loves, his love for God and his love for people. One after another, people stood up to share the impact that he had on their lives. From family to friends and neighbors, the theme was identical. Jim Martins loved God and the people around him. And many lives had been impacted. Many people led to faith in Christ because of the example that he lived. Um, you should have heard the love for him expressed by his children. They knew that they mattered to their dad. They knew that their mom mattered to their dad. They knew that God mattered to their dad and every one of them is following Christ today as a result. But nothing exceptional was ever said about his accomplishments. He did not seem like a busy man. He seemed like a man who loved. He was identified and remembered by the love that he had. Now, parents, let's do business for a minute here. What is the busy life we lead teaching our kids about what's most important? Are they seeing what's most important to us or what's most important to Christ? What are they gaining from the busy schedules that we've inflicted on them? Are they flourishing? Are they doing it loving God and loving others? Or is it most important that they conform and are involved in as much as possible like all the kids around them? As parents, we have to be constantly aware of the impact that our lifestyle's having on our kids. Are we raising our kids to love God and love others and let the busyness fall into place after that priority is established? Or are they just learning from us that life is exhausting and there aren't enough hours in the day to do all that we feel entitled to do? Don't neglect the impact that our choices have on our children. So what do we need to do? Well, we said it, we need to slow down. And this comes at a cost, I know. We might have to give up some of the sense of self-importance that we get from being involved in so many things. Uh, we might have to miss out on the feeling of fitting in with those around us who, who talk so much about all that they do. We might have to have that conversation with our kids about what's important in life. And we must weigh the cost against the reward of seeing our relationship with God 
and with the people closest to us deepen and strengthen. We will experience more love in our lives if we do this, and there's nothing that can compare to that. Our true identity, the image of God, will start to take its place in our lives more and more. And what an identity we have. The process of ridding ourselves of the sickness of busyness will look different for each one of us, but it's got to be something that is orchestrated and powered by God. Get on your knees before him and ask for his direction and for his power to do this. If this rings true for you, tell him how much it means to you to see love restored as the highest priority in your life and then be obedient to what he shows you. If he says you need to scale back on, on activity, then do it. If he says you need to pull your kids out of some activities, then do it. But please don't simply add restore love to your to-do list and hope that it gets done. Slow down. Say no to some things in your lives, things that are not contributing to your ability to flourish in your relationships with God and with others. There's a discipline that I'd like to suggest as a specific starting point for all of us. Um, I love the practicality of this discipline. It's a start to bringing silence and solitude into the daily experience of our lives. And there are other ways to do this and maybe a different approach will come to mind for you. But we need to do something to create a discipline in our lives where God can do the transforming work in us that he wants to do. And this is one approach, and I'd encourage you to commit to it. And notice I didn't say try it. Uh, trying harder is not going to rid us of the sickness of busyness. Commitment to the transforming work of God in our lives is what it's going to take. So on your bulletin insert is an outline of some steps in a process to create silence and solitude at the end of each day and to give you a chance to reflect intentionally on each day. And it's scary what we might discover during this process, but this is what the process look, looks like. It's right there so you can take it with you. Ending the day with God. Uh, first, find the right place at the right time and be still. Quiet the noise and quiet your mind. Secondly, acknowledge that God is with you. Invite him into the process. Third, review your day in your mind. Start when you woke up. What do you observe? What do you see that makes you thankful? What do you see that you need to confess? Fourthly, think about who you interacted with that day and pray for them. Fifthly, thank God for his grace, mercy, and love. Commit the night, the rest of the night, and the coming day to him. And sixth, listen for anything that God might want to say to you before ending the day. Um, this attempt at incorporating the discipline of slowing in our lives comes from a very basic command that we've been given in the word of God. It's a command that comes from Psalm 46.10 and I want to end the service this morning reflecting on what we're being invited to do. God says to us, be still and know that I am God. Let's learn together what it means to be still. God doesn't want us to race through life trying to keep up with everyone around us. Doesn't want us to work hard at figuring out what's right for ourselves. Doesn't even want us to be hard at work at the cost of the love relationships in our lives. He told us what the priorities are. It's up to us to obey. I want to spend some time now responding to what God's saying to us. Um, I want to have us spend some time before God in, in personal prayer I want to affirm for you some truths about God's call in our lives and committing to practice this discipline of slowing. Will you bow in prayer with me, please? Just close your eyes and 
shut everything else out right now. And as we enter into the presence of God, I want you to be reminded of some things. These are truths that God himself declares about you. God says this, he says, I created you. And not only that, I created you in the image of my son. Just let that sink in for a minute. Thank God for that. He says at the very core of who you are, is not something that's broken and tainted by sin. God says it's my image and it's perfect. He says, your sin does not define you. Your shortcomings do not define you. Even your strengths do not define you. He says, my image defines you. That's who you are. God says, my desire for your life is to do a restoration work in you, transforming you back to that image. God says, my desire is that you love, that you first love me, and then that you love those I have placed in your life and some that you haven't even met yet. This is God's plan for you. God says, let me do this work in you. I don't promise that it's going to be easy, but I do promise that it's going to be perfect because my will is perfect. Will you let God do this work? And God says, slow down and listen to me. Be still and know that I am God. Here's the challenge I want you to take up before God right now. Will you commit to this? Will you, through the discipline of slowing, give God the opportunity to do his transforming work in your life? Father, we come before you this morning. Um, maybe embarrassed a little, feeling a little shame, a little guilt, thinking about just how much we missed out on because we're so busy. 
thinking about how far we've lowered the bar of satisfaction in our lives. And Father, we're asking you to raise that bar again for us. We simply can't be content with superficiality. We simply cannot believe that being too busy to love you or anyone else is what you've designed for our lives. We know that's not the truth. So God, we come before you this morning just simply asking that your will would be accomplished in our lives and willingly laying our schedules on the altar. and Asking you to restore in our lives the highest priorities that we're in a deep love relationship with you and that you are using us to express your love to those around us in life. Now take everything else in our lives and make them seem terribly insignificant to us. Break us of our desire to feel self-important by being super busy. Bring us back to you to the point where we can literally just be still and know that you are God. We praise you for what you're going to do in our lives, for all the things that are going to fall into line as a result of this kind of obedience, this kind of discipline in our lives. Meet us there. Let us see what you have planned for us as we follow you into the most important things in life both centered in love. We thank you for your patience with us, for the fact that you're there, completely available to us 24-7. Help us to respond to your presence. Bless us now as we give back to you out of the generous gifts you've given us. We love you for being God for being who you are. Teach us to be still. In Jesus' name, amen.